Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Yes, it's lovely to be here and it's lovely to be in a world filled with chaos, confusion and all the other beautiful things that accompany that. Human beings, man, we are really having fun at this party. Um, I mean, it's crazy how extreme some of the things can seem. Um like you guys, if you've watched that thing, which I didn't watch, but of course I um, know about it when uh, I think the guy Pablo Escobar imported some exotic animals to his ranch or to his resort or his hideaway in Colombia. And he got some hippos. And now the hippos have multiplied and expanded their population. And they're creating a bit of a menace to the local population of um, that area. You know, because the last thing you need is some hippos who are riled up on Charlie running around creating havoc and just going, you know what, man, I'm two tons and I'm wired and I'm bored. And... uh, yeah, they're apparently uh, scaring the shit out of a lot of the locals. And they're like, what do we do, amigo? I don't know, it's Mexican or Colombian. What do we do? We need a, These guys are out of line. We need to send them out. And there's up in arms environment. Of course, the chaos that ensues is always the environment. Like, these poor, gracious, large animals. How could you be so inconsiderate and treat them with such indignity? They have feelings. Um and then you have the crazy guys going, shoot them all. And, and then you have the other guys going, but what, what do we do? Our livelihood. So all that shit is happening. But I feel there is some sense of um, craziness which accompanies any time where humans dominate, right? I don't think we know a time where humans didn't dominate because, hey, who the hell is there to write about that, right? I don't think there was a time where someone was chronicling the dinosaurs being tyrants. I don't think there was a book. I don't think there was a chronicler. I don't think there was a philosopher who was sitting in the corner going, oh, you know, it's day 365,000. Haven't had my fourth meal because the dinosaurs don't feed very promptly. And I really don't know what tomorrow is going to look like because it is quite shitty to be ruled by the dinosaurs. They seem to overlook my presence and the indignity of all is rather upsetting and offensive to my being. Never had a time. Never had chronicles. And it's always been humans against other human beings and humans telling stories of other lives. Lives? Life forms. That's what I was talking about. Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting if something else starts dominating us. I don't know if it's another species from another planet, but something we know, something we're familiar with, something that we uh, kind of abuse, something we take for granted, like chickens. I think if chickens take over the planet, uh, for whatever reason, say there's some kind of outbreak, just like what happened, and everyone's fighting about it, going, it's a lab leak, it's a not, it's a wet market leak, it's the Chinese, it's the Indians, and we're just infighting, going on our own way, and the typical way we go about these things, and everything's like, it's a hoax, it's a conspiracy, the the Republicans are out to get us. No, it's the conservatives, it's the liberals, and we're just fighting in fighting. Greta Thunberg is like, you know, gone wet with orgasms because she's like, oh my God, it's the environment melting. It's crazy. And in the meanwhile, the chickens who are just like, what the fuck, suddenly get a dose of this virus, which suddenly turns them into super chicken, intelligent forces of nature that suddenly we are going, what the hell? It's been genocide for the past thousands of years. Every day, no one considers maybe kind of a flavor of different spices. We're kind of tossed into dishes. We're thrown away because someone says, oh, I got food poisoning. Someone says, oh, I don't like wings. I like the breast and our bodies are being totally, uh, totally, totally ruined. What's the word I was looking for? Totally uh 
desiccated yeah maybe desiccated and we are completely violated by the species so let's all unite in the name of chickens and create the super race of chickens and with one chicken leader who just says fuck this all i'm going to take back the world in the name of the chicken the chicken and that's that one big cock who says you know what it's time and the chickens are going to take over the world and then you know, they start enslaving, they start brutalizing, they start making curries and they make kebabs out of humans. And the next thing you know, a few human beings are left and they have to start giving some hope for the future. And then you have this nice thriller that comes out, the survival of the human race. It's down to these four people, Jack. And then you have Anastasia, who was Jack. And then you have Jack. And you have... Riley, who was Anastasia and then became Jack. It's four people with eight pronouns. They are the future of the human race, fighting the oppression of the chickens. Yeah, it would be interesting. And then you have to hear their chronicles of how hard it is because there's no food, because clearly the thing that they depended on is their boss. Would be interesting. Just a plot. Netflix, if you're listening, I'm here and I can tell you how to write a script in case you're wondering. And in case you're interested, eh, no pressure. You know, I really see a future where specialization should be really, really taken seriously. Because you know what, especially with the arts, I think people get away too lightly. You know, you have these cookie cutter kind of artists, the pop stars, right? Like the Katy Perry's and you have the Miley Cyrus and you have the Justin Bieber's and the Harry Styles of the world, who, of course, I think every generation has them, right? They they pretty pretty much are like this proper brand initiative they created into these huge beyond life bigger than life kind of characters and they look poster boy good looks poster girl good looks and everyone wants to be them everyone wants to be like them everyone idol worships them and they excel out these massive stadiums and then you have the, the punk rockers right who put on nail polish or goths so they have the gothic look they put on these black eyebrows and they 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 sing about satan and whatnot then you have the rappers who put grills on their teeth or wherever they put grills they get where i'm going with this is that i feel if you're in a certain profession whether it's a sporting profession whether it's an entertainment profession i feel you need to go a hundred percent and i'm talking about besides the training besides the talent besides the skill besides the discipline i feel if you want to go a 200 percent and you want to create a, a life dedicated to that art or that sport, let your body go through the transformation. Because of course, now people who say I'm not comfortable as a man have the option of getting a surgery, becoming a woman or becoming whatever gender they identify with. Similarly, like, you know, like a Post Malone or someone, he's got tattoos on his face, he's got piercings on his face. That's just the first step. I think you need to go even beyond that. I think if you're an artist, if you are a musician, become the art that you are dedicating your life to. So you can do whatever it takes. If you're, if you're, if you're like a soldier, if you're a kickboxer, if you're an ultimate fighter, get those prosthetics, man. Build up your body, put in prosthetics. Like, I really respect porn stars for that. Like, they are like, you know what? This is our tool to entertain you with, to, to give you pleasure. So they have bigger breasts they have bigger asses i don't know if the men get extensions or what it may be but you're committing to your profession to your art form and i want to see more of that from other professions i want soldiers with eight arms i want kickboxers with like eight feet because that is the future of entertainment i'm tired of these two hand two leg fuckers who are getting away with it going coming back home going i'm just jim and i want to have a beer and enjoy yeah yeah you can train 100 percent, man but i want you to come home and people are like that's a kickboxer that's the guy who doesn't fit in anywhere else because he only fits in in the 
ring in the octagon because he's a kickboxer because every time he goes to security he trips on his six other feet because he doesn't belong anywhere else but the ring that's the passion that's the dedication to the art form and I want to see more of that I want to see singers with five lips I want to see singers with eight mouths because who wants a band I want a singer who can put eight different voices over there who has like a drum set coming out of their ass who has guitars popping out everywhere because they're the one person who dedicates themselves to their art form who comes with an entire composition that they own they make they have a chip in their head that they can collaborate with and put out amazing music from space i don't know what it is i just have an idea and i want you to flow with it and i want the future to resemble that got it all right because uh, otherwise the chickens are going to take over and you better heed my warning i don't know what that was anyhow that was my little take on where we are and what the future might look like but to speak about the future i've got Bailey Parnell. Now, let me tell you about this conversation today because Bailey Parnell is studying something that I tend to ramble on about on this podcast and you might have heard me rant about it and at times I eh, do sound like a bit of a lunatic who's just going on about this. But it's always good to know something, that, to know more about something that you speculate on and you might have wrong opinions and perceptions about. So Bailey, Bailey Parnell is studying the negative and let's not go negative, the effects of social media and more importantly, the the effects of social media on mental health. Now, this, of course, is a broad topic and it's relevant to a lot of us uh, across the age groups. And Bailey and I speak about various things. Now, of course, there are certain elements on social media which people get hooked on to and which do have negative effects on people's self-esteem, people's sense of community, people's sense of self-worth, people's sense of connection with other human beings. There is the online persona. There's this online version of glory and highlights and how life has to be a lot bigger and a lot more fun than uh, and people being seen as a lot more successful, a lot more uh, flying high and Everyone tries to sort of copy that life and it doesn't work out for everyone. Chasing that thrill of the going, of going viral. There's so many things that people try to keep um, as the goalpost for them. And it doesn't always translate, causing a lot of rejection and a sense of dejection and a sense of failure. But there is also a lot of things that social media does offer as a tool. A sense of connecting with people from around the world. A sense of keeping in touch with people who you aren't uh, physically close to. You're not in the same geography. So... There is a good and bad side. More importantly, there is there are two sides to every story. So Bailey and I look at the various things and she explains some of the studies that she has conducted, some of the, the, the data from these studies and how, well, going forward, we are going to have a society, a world where the lines between on and offline are going to be blurred. And we're seeing that already where there is the online currency of influence and impressions being carried forward into the real world. You see it where uh, people who are YouTubers or gamers or Instagram influencers or social media influencers getting um, shows uh, because of the influence they carry with the population. And also other stuff like getting getting goodies, getting travel sponsors, getting all sorts of things done and not always done in the form of money, but it's also done in the form of a barter kind of deal. So that being one of the initial sort of things that we can see going forward, there is a future where social media isn't going anywhere. So we rather understand what we're dealing with than either demonize it or be terrified by it or be manipulated by it or be overwhelmed by it. So if this is the future we're looking at, how can we understand 
the way in which we can use it without it affecting us negatively, whether it takes us away from our family, it leads us to having suicidal thoughts, to having absolutely um, terrible impact on self-worth, self-esteem. So there are things that can go too far with any tool, technology, AI, social media, all these things that we are facing in the 21st century. But the best way to kind of go forward with these things is to understand, to figure out what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and what mindset you need to approach these tools with. And Bailey has done me the pleasure of, well, talking about a lot of the things that she has experienced in her study, in her research. And I hope that some of it is relevant to you and can help you make sense of what I call the madness that we live in. But it doesn't have to be. It's the reality. It's the world. And do we have to stay offline to avoid being completely thrown into chaos online? So Bailey, if you're listening, I really appreciate you taking the time. And for all of you listening, you're in for a treat for a fun conversation. And as always, I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Till next week, take care of yourselves. Goodbye. God bless. Cheers. Bailey Parnell, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Appreciate you being here today. Happy to be here. You know, I think people listening to this podcast have heard have heard me go on, uh, you know, rants in some ways or deep questioning in some ways about the world that has moved online and more specifically the social networking of human beings online. And I think you're a perfect person to ask the questions that I have uh, been contemplating and the questions that have been bothering me. So, can you? maybe to start with, just give a sense of what, since the first version of social networking, maybe LinkedIn or uh, MySpace back in the early 2000s, to the version we have of social media today, be it the Instagrams or the TikToks or the Snapchats or the Facebooks, or possibly even Meta with the VR and the AR opportunities. What was the intention of social media and where is it today? Mm -hmm. Well, for someone like me and a a researcher in this space, I would actually consider social media thing, a thing that has, a thing that has existed throughout humanity Mm -hmm. and just took on different forms, Mm -hmm. a platform for which we can kind of communicate, collaborate, tell stories. These are things that we've all always, always done. And even in the history of communications, more telecommunications. We found a way to do it, you know, even with the telephone or for some of you listening, you might remember like instant messaging, AOL or MSN, these things. So we were always on the track towards social media. It just allowed us to expand that that social reach, of course, globally across distance. Um, It's directly tied to you. It can be one to many. All of these things changed. And so if you want to go back to like the MySpace era, of social media. That's kind of, I think, where we were starting to pair a few things in history at the same time, which was access to a personal computer, internet, and now um, someone using both of those things to connect people in a social way. So I think we were always on the track. Um, but then fast forward, and we've, we've really continued down that track. The way Facebook started, I think, you know, we all know the tale of how it was really to rate women within the college. 
which is unsurprising for who started it, but <laughs> here we are. Um, and uh, I think a lot of the social media in a way has, has done what the rest tried to do, connect us, give us a space to collaborate, communicate, do all of those things. Now, because we're talking about people that comes with the great parts of people. And it also comes with the terrible parts of people. Yeah. To, to, to talk to that point, um, it's a great as asset for humanity, right? Uh, mobile phones are a great uh, technological advancement for communication. It, you know, you see the, the benefits of it, especially when there is the need for human help, right? When, you know, people are able to rescue people in an earthquake or people rush to an emergency. Th these are the moments when you see the true power and the true um, ability of what on, you know, instant communication it can do. So that needless to say, you know, a few, yeah, a few have created brilliance for the many, right? Like I'm sure the intention was there. But when you look at, say, like the documentary that came out on Netflix about um, how the people, some of the people behind these things are like the Facebook al algorithms or the Instagram algorithms, they knew where it was head heading and they kind of prevent their own children from being on these platforms. So there is, uh, it's not just an informed choice, but it's also almost a responsibility for an adult to kind of screen, um, not more than screen, kind of inform their, uh, the, the, the younger generation or the younger population of what the ills, like you, you tell someone, you know, when they're growing up, don't yeah. drink, don't smoke, it's bad for you because, you know, and once yeah. you do that beyond that, they're like, you know what, I told you so. Are they clear, seems to be in your clear warning. Uh, okay, maybe in 2005, maybe even in 2015, the, the research, the data was not out there. And, yeah, you know, I, I, I've been tracking this a little bit and, I've been reading up a little bit and as a layman, I still know a little more than I did. And in fact, I'm concerned. So why sure. haven't, or why hasn't it gone unquestioned? I, I think there are panels that came up when Mark Zuckerberg was questioned when it came to political influence or misinformation. But um, when there was this whistleblower recently from Facebook and she's just probably the tip of the iceberg and one of the platforms mentioned. So, what I'm trying to gauge is the human side of things because you can't say Facebook is a demon because it's just a corporation that has people working for it and the idea started somewhere and has ended up somewhere else. And of course, you have the advertising and, the, and, and these these elements are then all aspects of business in all businesses, right? Whether it's cosmetics, whether it's pharmaceutical, whether it's fashion, whether it's tech, you have um, these personal interests, these motives for profit. But with this specific tool, it seems to be uh, across age groups. And of course, the age groups that are introduced to it at a younger age are more damaged by it because of, um, we can talk about that. But across age age groups, like people are in their 40s are also, uh, they want this, this attention. They want to be glorified. They want this sense of my life is glorious. They want this kind of celebrity uh, recognition and you have influencer status across the board and it, it no one seems to it, to be able to escape from it from the age of 13 which is yeah. a very scary well, you're age going, yeah you're going in many directions here but i think um for the kids thing yeah exactly i just way, want to set a premise and then yeah, i'd like you sure. to kind of highlight that because not highlight it has but, to go and it has yeah. to go in many directions because it really does affect all parts of our life and for the kids thing my approach to social media is kind of you made an apt comparison because I would say it's a risky behavior like drugs, alcohol, or even driving. 
Because a risky behavior in psychology is simply something where when you participate, you expose yourself to potential harm. Yeah. And we know for sure now, maybe in a way that we didn't know 20 years ago, that you expose yourself to potential harm on social media. That harm can be anything from stress. You could feel anxious. You could feel lonely. You could be uh, traumatized. You never know what you're going to see. You could be all the other worst things. You could be harassed. You could be stalked. You could be all of these things. Therefore, by participating in this space, potential harm could happen. That doesn't mean that it always will. Just the same way as, you know, when you drive, you could get hit by a car. It's a risky behavior. However, we've done the things that we need to do to make it safe so that you can drive safely as well as keep others safe on the road. Yeah. And so it would actually be more useful for anyone listening to think of social media in the same category as something like drinking versus just thinking about it in the category of like the radio, television, social media. So there's there's definitely that part of it. No, but um, just to play devil's advocate here, right? I just want to think, can't, can't someone say, hey, you know what? When I was a kid, I was just thrown into the deep end, right? I went to school. No one protected me. I had to fend for myself. I developed resilience. I developed a sense of self-preservation. Why can't these kids do it? And you have people throwing that argument, right? Saying they're too easily overwhelmed. So why, So, what would you put forth when it comes to um, why um, our children, and I use the word children from the age of like, say, 7 to 16, why are they not able to cope with this tool because for them they know that they don't they know nothing else right say i grew up in the 90s so i never knew um i knew a world without the internet when slowly i was introduced to it and then well there's um, a lot of reasons it's a great question i get asked two there's two questions i get asked a lot that might be useful here the first is um wow generation you know the younger generations these days they seem like snowflakes and mental health and all this stuff and i just don't agree with that. There are some things that are different. For the first thing is that language is different around mental health. So now you have these experiences that young people went through for many, many decades. You know, the experiences of comparing one another, of elevated testosterone and, and estrogen, and um, going outside the family to engage in more peer-to-peer comparison like these are all things that happened long before Mm. um you're growing at a rate similar to a toddler your brain can't keep up your risk mitigation is lowered in the brain so really those preteen and teenage years when people are getting on social media are are, we're always riddled with risk yeah and now there's language around it so even though it was happening to my mom and my dad and to some extent i was the transition generation but um it was happening. There was no language to accurately pinpoint, oh, this is like anxiety or temporary anxiety or something like this. Yeah. So then there's, so now, you know, a 13 year old has been learning about this stuff for a while and they can probably accurately pinpoint it in themselves. And then the second part of it is a reduction of stigma. Just because you know what's happening doesn't mean you feel comfortable saying it or advocating for yourself. But yeah. because of really our generation's work, there's less yeah. stigma around this stuff. And so once they know what's happening, they're not afraid to say it out loud. And um, the third part of it that cannot be understated is what we're talking about here. 
social media is different. And I don't care what anyone in older generation says, it is always on. It's directly tied to you. And even if you were left out of the group chat on telephone, it it ended when you went home at the end of the day. Yeah. The telephone wasn't designed to be addictive with brain psychologists spending their whole working hours dedicated to this one thing. Like social media is different. And now, so that's the first part of the conversation is the relationship of mental health in this young generation in the first place is different. But then you enter the world of social media and how might this actually be worse for young people today? Well, like I said, they're already engaging in this thing that we've always done at that age, which is social comparison, except now it's always on directly tied to you. And, and, um, and it's kind of confuses you into thinking that you're making objective comparisons when you're not. And then secondly, if you're under 25, your brain is quite literally not done growing. So I see this as an opportunity, you know, you can fill it with lots of good things, but it also means you are more at risk for any cognitive conditioning and you are more at risk for any risky behavior. Of course, that age is more at risk, but now let's pretend that you do encounter some stress on social media. You know, you just can't quite figure out where this anxiety is coming from because we don't teach about it. We don't talk about it yet. And these kids are kind of You just can't figure out where it's coming from. Or let's say something even worse does happen. I work with a lot of young people who, let's say, are getting unsolicited photos or harassment online from men they don't know. And um, you do go to your typical supports. Maybe you go to a guidance counselor, a coach, a parent, you name it. And you say, I'm being harassed in my DMs. And they say, what's a DM? Mm. You know, right now there's a we're at a very strange time of history, just simply based on when this all started, is uh, where largely adults these these supports didn't grow up with social media themselves. So it's very easy for them to say like, "Get your head out of your phone," or "Why do you care if someone didn't like your photo?" But they do, and that's largely unhelpful. The other thing adults forget is that when they got on social media, just based on history. They were probably already more self-actualized people. They were probably already past that high school phase. So they never felt compelled at all to add people who they didn't actually like, but like there might be social consequences. So all of this is happening at the same time. And um, that's, I think, ultimately what's contributing to young people these days having a tough time on social media. They're going through very normal things, except those things are exaggerated today. And there is no education about it. And there is no large parental movement about this. And the governments are not regulating it. And so right now, young people are kind of like bearing the brunt of our inaction. Yeah, because I feel also the lawmakers who are handling these hearings about tech infringement or how it's, they they have no clue with half the terminology, right? They're like, what are these guys on about? And they, as a result, are disconnected. But the same feeling you get with social media makes you... Um, which social media uses to kind of get you hooked on to is this sense of I'm special, right? It's that hit, which gets you going back and spending more hours on there. It gives you like this sense of, you know, how many likes you got? And we'll talk about that right now. Um, the same thing that I'm being watched, which makes you feel special, can also flip around and say, you're always being judged. And that must be a really hard thing for a child because you don't have a private moment to gather your thoughts saying, you know what? I have my family. I have my close set of cousins or friends, I am valuable or my worth is great irrespective of what 
people are commenting online or people are living online or what they're perceivably living online. You don't have a moment to breathe. And that must be amazingly scary and very like sort of panic inducing. Yeah. And you've also noted something else really important there, which was, did they take a, t- a time to take stock of their life offline? Do they feel good and confident about their life offline? And for any parents listening, I would say that is absolutely the most important thing you can do for yourself, actually, and your kids online. Because in my research, I asked people, you know, about what, did you have a good or bad time on social media? How did you feel as a result of using? And then what I was curious about was what made it a good or bad time? And with my participants, what emerged as the most important indicator of whether or not they would have a good or bad time, as well as moderator, so how good or how bad, was how they felt about themselves offline at time of use. So Mm. if they felt good, like, oh, maybe I went to the gym today, or I've worked on my report for work or my project for school, then I go on social media and I see, I don't know, a fitness model and I think hashtag goals. But then if I didn't and I feel dusty and I don't feel good about myself today or like I was just lazy today, I didn't go to the gym, then I go on the same social media and I think I hate my life. Yeah, That's almost a direct quote. And this is really important because we know that different people are going to experience social media differently. But what's important about this is that you as an individual will experience it differently in two different hours of your day based on how you're feeling about yourself. So if you really want a long-term social media strategy to make it a positive experience for you, really the number one would be go build a life offline that you're content with, which seems counterintuitive, right? (laughs) Yeah. Now this, this guy I had on the podcast a few months back said something in a different context, but it sort of makes sense here. He said, if you live in the gym, you can eat at McDonald's. Uh, but if you live in McDonald's, there's no point really going to the gym. And it's just like that. If you're living <laughs> offline and you actually have a life which you um, consider um, and you, you consider you, you, you kind of find it. I mean, I'm not saying consciously or sustainably, but just a life that you wake up to enjoying. You have dinner with your parents or parent or you have a time where you actually, you know, take a breath, enjoy whatever you have. You know, you go shopping, go shopping. But the the, the actual physical tactile the experience as opposed to just glued to a screen then you can face online criticism online hype online validation and come back and speak to people around you about it but i've noticed this like when i was actively trying to promote my social media footprint when you know 2016 17 18 when the entire movement was towards getting big youtube views and getting big followers on twitter and and, and facebook at that time it was debilitating because i thought at, at points that my 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 comedic ability or my content is absolutely dirt because no one's giving me likes no one's coming for my shows based on the views i'm getting on youtube and I knew that I was funny because I would do live shows and people would laugh, but I'm like, why am I not getting the the recognition I deserve? And it really, and and at that point I wasn't young. I was like 35, 36. I was way past the age group that these kids are dealing with it. And it's hard. And that's where I'm coming from because um, the lockdown then forced me to take a step back and say, you know what, take stock of the life I do have offline. And it was, that's when I realized, man, it's great. (laughs) I don't need social media, but 
that was at the age of 38. It's not easy. And yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, I get the benefits of social media too. Like I'm not about, I'll never go into a classroom and preach abstinence-based education of social media. If I, if I told them they all had to get off social media, they'd laugh me out of the room. And yeah. I actually honestly would be a hypocrite because you found me on social media. A lot of people find my TED Talk. Like they, I get learning. I get business opportunities. I get to share my ideas. So self-actualization. I get to connect with friends and family. I mean, there's a t- I just was in a bunch of high school classrooms these last few weeks and I talked to them about their experience of social media too. So this is like the, at least one thing I can say is that, you know, the stories I'm giving you are pretty recent. Yeah. What's interesting about young people today, especially Gen Z, and, and this has been proven in more recent research, is that they don't view the online world like older generations. Like if I ask millennials or Gen literally anyone above that, I say, do you think social media has made the world a better or worse place? They almost always say a worse place. Oh, yeah. And it's because they knew life before. And so they look at how it's affecting young people and they think, oh, that's probably not Oh, you're good. saying people, millennials and before that time. Yes. Yeah. Right, right, so right, older right, right. folks okay. tend to say it's making a, a worse place. Right. And they have a negative sentiment towards it very often, but, or a new, or like an, I don't care about it, but no. sure. Okay. But then you talk to young people and for them, it's, it's neutral in their lives. It's, it's increasingly be sh- So, you know, even 10 years ago in my work, it was still predominantly negative. Like how is this affecting you is still predominantly negative, mm. but now the majority of them are saying it's neutral, which I think makes sense because for now kids these days, they've never known life without it. They certainly don't remember life without it. Yeah. I'm sure their parents are putting them on Facebook. So for them, they don't think my online life, my offline life, they often just think this is life. Like, of course, social media is like a TV. I don't know. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes I have a good day. Sometimes I have a bad day, which I think, you know, I think helps me in my work. I'm like, okay, neutral is better than negative. Now it's easier to go from neutral to a positive experience than yeah. from negative to a positive experience. Yeah. At so least you're I open to this. see the two sides to the story, right? Pardon? At least if you're neutral, you're willing to see two sides to the, to the argument, because if you're negative, Absolutely, then right? you work that much harder to even be um, in, in, in a place where you're, bad, you're kind of looking, you know? Yeah. Well, the teenagers tell me straight up, they're like, um, yeah, like adults, they came came up to my talks, like they literally come up to the stage after the talks and they're like, we don't really like other speakers or like we don't, our teachers are always like, get off social media. That's how I say it too. Get off social media, <laughs> sure. but we're not going to get off. So they, they, they appreciate what I'm saying and they speak to me with the maturity that I sometimes don't get from adults, to be mm. honest, because they're there experiencing the positive benefits they're trying to explain to their parents hey look like i'm connecting with my friends like we're having we're laughing here we're having a fun time here and for me i would say entertainment would be a positive outcome of social media like for example i think that tiktok is highly entertaining and hilarious i usually have a good laugh on tiktok i don't think it's inherently worse to watch half an hour of tiktok if you're if you're honestly being entertained, then it is to watch, you know, I don't know, half an hour of a reality television show. Mm. 
But you have the, the key difference is, of course, you have to be keen on what the outcome actually is for you. If you're just watching it and you don't even remember what you saw, well, if you're doing that for half an hour a day, you're blacking out for half an hour a day, and that's different. So just to get um, to that, right, because these things are good, sometimes even healthy when a child or um, someone who's not confident gets bullied in the physical world, they find solace, they find friendship, they find a sense of community online, which is, I think, quite fantastic. But we're not clearly talking about that aspect, right? We're talking about when it goes beyond, when it's like mindless. And, and of course, at this point, I'm not talking about any age group. It's there every in every group. Uh, mindless scrolling, mindless comparison, mindless thing. And um, let's probably talk about the four things you highlighted, right? Which are the highlights, the social currency, the FOMO, and the online harassment. Now, how can, can you paint a... a a picture of the positives and the negatives of these four things so people can get a sense of it's not all downhill because it's a very futilistic approach when people my age talk about social I, it's either it's either i'm off social media it's a stupid thing I've, I've been off it for the past three years there's no middle ground so i'd like you to kind of uh mm-hmm. put that forth for people listening well those four things that you mentioned were just they're kind of in an effort to help create a picture of the environment that you might be operating in. It's almost like describing the road when it comes to driving. We're saying, hey, this is a risky behavior, but look at the, let's address the environment in which you do this risky behavior. So in this environment, yeah, there's highlight reels, which are kind of a collection of people's best and brightest moments. And what happens is when we're scrolling on social media, we're engaging with only, you know, 0.1% of someone else's life. But the very natural human tendency is to want to compare my life to theirs. This is social comparison theory. The idea being that humans create our identity based on comparisons to others. Mm -hmm. That can be actually even as simple as I know that I'm a tall person because looking around in life, I see that most people are shorter than me. Therefore, this informs my identity as a tall person. And so, and so the highlight reel is saying, wait a sec, you don't forget that you're comparing. This would not be a, a, an apt comparison. This would not work in research because if I said to you, I'm comparing 99% of my life, including all my worst moments, and I'm only comparing it to your best moments, you would say that's an unreasonable comparison, but you're not seeing all their bad moments. So that doesn't make sense. So that's what the the highlight reel is saying, is me saying, remind yourself of that. This is not an objective comparison by any means, especially if you want to add the algorithm into this. And um, yeah, social currency is... A collection of the likes, the follows, the shares. Sorry, the- um, I'm just going to mm-hmm. ask you one more point sure. before we move to this. I think while you said it's 0.1% of a person is, 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 is that person's highlights, it's even the person who's, um, like if I'm comparing my, my entire life to 0.1% of your highlights. But I think what's important is even the person who's putting up that highlights, they kind of realize that their entire life isn't that so they get pretty messed up, right? Because they then they constantly are seeking those highlights. Um, well, it depends. I mean, some people are just sharing the highlights. Some people are organizing their life around it. I would huh. say that would, if, if compared to, I mean, if that was happening a lot and there was other signs of addiction, you might have something to worry about. Mm. But I would say actually most people are 
are not doing that. I would say they're not. most okay. people are not designing their life around building a highlight, but some are influencers. Maybe if you're young and you have more time and you want to get a good gram, but most people are not. Right. Because I just wanted to address that because I've observed some people who seem like they're moving from one Insta post to another. And it seems how I'm just like, my God, that must be tiring, yeah. you know, because well, there's it, no, you are like, there's certainly some for sure. Like where you're like, Oh my gosh, like, do you do anything else? But I would, but again, not the majority of people on social media. Good to hear. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, Social currency is collection of those likes, comments, shares. When you spend 0.5 seconds longer on a photo or an ad, it becomes a recorded transaction attributing value. Similar to offline currency, this value becomes like the thing by which we attribute value to something. So um, in marketing, this is fabulous because as I mentioned in the TED Talk, it's called the economy of attention. And if the service is free, then you are the product. But in our personal social media, we're the product and we're allowing others to attribute value to us. Right. So that's kind of like I put something out there and like you mentioned earlier, maybe I'm not getting the reception I thought from other people. Does this mean that it's not valuable? Mm. Social currency is now also translating to actual financial and offline social currency. For example, it's not anyone listening would know maybe the phrase of an influencer who has managed to capture social capital, translate it to actual financial capital, whether it's through money, access, products, you name it. So that is um, one of the things we talk about there, too. We also talk about FOMO, which is a potential risk of using social media. So just to uh, this point with social currency, do you think we... it can create this scenario where uh, I know there are possibly TV shows on this. I don't watch uh, television, but um, where it could be a model for replacing financial uh, currency where people can actually get into a better position or a higher status in society or more respect based on that. Is is that happening or is that just, again, a minority no, I think I think that's not actually far off. That is happening, hmm. to be honest. I know that other countries, so I'm from Canada and I live in the U.S. now in New York, but, um, hmm. you know, other countries have moved this idea of social currency along further. Like I've heard of some test programs happening in China. You know, 10 years ago, we were laugh- watching the, I don't know if it was 10, but a Black Mirror episode called Nosedive. It's really worth it. If anyone's ever, you got to watch this episode. It's basically an hour, great content about what if we had a social score and that social score actually translated to real life and you could actually see someone's score and it became a factor in buying a house and going to a restaurant, all of these things. It, made, it became a factor in where you sit, um, what part of the bus you're on, what neighborhoods you're allowed access to. So this is the TV show. But what I love about it is what I love about good art in general is like, you know, this is kind of happening with social media and influencers, right? Like if I talk to you about an influencer who's a traveler, who's gotten millions of followers because of this, well, guess what's happening? They're being contacted by like hotels. They're being given access that others wouldn't have. They're saying, please talk about us. 
They're saying, um, mm. here's free products. We will fly you here on our airline. Um, now what's interesting is I've even seen influencer couples get their wedding paid for Whoa, okay. because they're able to say to a vendor, you doing our wedding will give you more in promotion than you could possibly get elsewhere. So give it to us for free and we'll give you promotion. I hate that. Let me just put that out there. Pay people for their work, but it's happening and they're getting it. So clearly this social capital has translated to actual offline capital. That's crazy because I know that whole statement you made of offline worth is gone. Like your, 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 your family, people who you care about, I'm saying it could be family or friends or things you care about, which are not necessarily things that will get attention and as a result, likes and validation. Um, okay, so of- I should say though, like it's really important, even though I talk about phenomena, that is still not the majority of people. An influencer yeah. with that many followers who gets that much access is not even close to the majority of people online, period. So, no, fair enough, of course. But yeah. I'm saying just uh, painting a, a forecast, if you want to call it, if not a picture. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, you know, you, 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 you see this happening in, in even the, the art space, right? Where, um, say, a comedian or a musician or um, someone who pitches an idea to a, ma- a major platform is going to be overshadowed or is going to be um, skipped for a person, say, a YouTuber or a uh, influencer or, or possibly even a comedian who's not is who's less experienced right. because they've got their social media yeah, game in place. And that is actually a problem because um, not for the comedian alone, but also for the audience because they – they they might uh, like this comedian or musician for making really uh, convincing 40 second reels, which gets them that attention, but maybe it doesn't translate to a 40, 50 minute, one hour show, which is what that particular category was. They, what they both applied for. So yeah. I'm saying for the audience, you're getting cheated in a way because of, uh, or am I looking at this in a skewed way? No, I mean, I don't, you could go either direction with this. I almost think it would be situational, but it's a really interesting way to look at it because on one hand, someone could make the argument that what you're saying, which is that you're not seeing maybe the best or the most meritous person or the, you know, the funniest person for this role because it was based on social following. Yeah. But I could see how someone might also make the argument well, they earned that social following by being interesting to people or by yeah. being funny to people. So yeah. maybe there's something that our audience hasn't seen yet that all these other people have validated. Again, I could make the argument for both sides. So, you yeah, know, yeah. it would be like actually. No, I think in some cases it's paid off. In some cases it's paid off. You know, like you could say something like a, um, a person who could never be discovered because of lack of access, someone in a rural part of India or someone in a little town in Africa who's got really, really good skills and TikTok just brought them to the forefront. And that's great. Those stories are, are absolutely thing because it breaks the it, it breaks the middleman. It breaks those big managing companies that kind of usually just go after a particular type of artist. But um, no, because this this what what uh, what the reason I asked this for a couple of uh, couple of reasons going forward is you you kind of have this sense that we possibly have the social currency then kind of coming 
of the internet into our personal lives and then as a result shaping our presence and our standing in society and our access to things in society along with this where it's also happening with work wise and as a result you have the online offline line blurring even more um mm-hmm. what, what, what that you you mentioned form earlier and before I introduced you to, uh, in, not introduced <laughs> interfered interrupted what's wrong with me today i'm losing my words i before i interrupted you um so what can happen if there is a significant blurring of on and offline with things like fomo for example with to start thing, with with things like what the fomo aspect fear of missing out Oh yeah, FOMO. So FOMO is a light phrase. We all throw it around, but it is actually a social anxiety from the fear of missing a potential connection event or opportunity. Mm. So this could also be, you know, I've had students tell me that they only wanted to go to the event because they knew pictures were being taken. It could be that FOMO. But I think for most people, it's probably like, oh, um, I have 60 notifications i must be missing something like i want to be in the loop i don't want to be out of the loop so i got to stay connected here yeah so the fomo is also has also been shown to be the greatest predictor of addiction to social media so mm. the the degree to which you experience that fomo or that need to check also correlates with the likelihood that you might be presenting signs of addiction to social media so if we have an actual addiction which fomo is one of the indicators of and we have this need in fact almost if we play along with this argument that it might be one day and 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 just just for for conversation sake that mm-hmm. you need to have a very significant social media footprint to be anyone in society who has some standing now i could tell someone get off your phone if it's not making sense if you enjoy it for entertainment value it's good but then they could say no my social currency needs to be built and that's only built by spending more time online presenting these strong aspects of my life so i get more recognition get more social currency then i can come back home a more socially um rich person as a result my offline yeah. life you know what i'm trying to say over here it's this kind of yes. painting so what what can it happen because then then fomo isn't a an, ad, an indication of addiction it is a threat to your existence almost yeah so are you saying like they they actually could make a case this, these days i'm like saying they could make a case for if, spending all this time and building this social capital yeah i'm i'm just saying at this point it's fear of missing out and i get that fear of missing out right oh my god like if you don't go for a party you don't go for an event i i get it like sometimes i've been at home but i'm just trying to understand that it's fomo now and it's a sign of addiction already but it, it it's something people laugh at even but what and i don't paint again at only a dark picture of the future for social media but with the blurring of on and offline and add on this value of social currency which is of course as you said happening to fewer than more people um, where where could where could these things and finally just if you could include the online harassment if we could take these things and kind of run with it just for conversation sake and i don't mm-hmm. want you to put your the, the data there because of course it it's it's not happening but there are small indications that there are few situations where it is happening what can we kind of envision um in the next 5 to 10 years on social media 
with this trend, with these trends of the four things that you mentioned, along with these blurring of the lines, along with these kind of taking from one place to another, from on to offline, uh, what kind of society are we heading towards? Well, I've seen some pretty promising moves, actually, with the younger generation here in North America, Mm -hmm. as well as with TikTok. I mean, TikTok is an interesting one because I have a great time on TikTok, I mentioned. And of all of the social networks, it's the one that most improves mental health. Isn't that Mm -hmm. funny? Like, as in for younger generation. However, concerns with TikTok in North America um, are more about privacy and security and mm. national security recently. So I don't know if you've read the stories they're considering banning TikTok. I think Canada has asked all their members of parliament to <laughs> uninstall TikTok. Well, that, I mean, makes sense to me. Like, it I'm does, surprised but... that the government was ever allowed to have that. In, exactly, what's their, going on in parliament right now? On their devices, <laughs> but like, that just seems... So anyways, Canada's not the only one. There's a lot of countries that have said it's not allowed to be on government devices. Yeah. And... It, which again makes sense because if you read the terms and conditions, they're tracking quite a lot of what mm. you do on your phone. So yeah, but now they're because of that though. Um, you could like one could access a ton of data on TikTok about a populace and what they're doing on their phone. Sometimes even keystrokes, like that's how you, how you move your fingers type of data. So that's, a lot of yeah. people are uncomfortable with this, and this would be a kind of a risk of using, but. Interestingly, privacy seems to be a generational concern. Older generations are more concerned with privacy and security than our younger generations when it comes to the social media world. Um, That's okay. I mean, I would say that older generations, you should be taking care of those things for younger generations. Younger gens are more concerned with mental health and well-being. But like I said, a little bit promising, those two things that have come up recently about teens saying like, it's a neutral experience. Most of them say that is much better than a negative experience. So I'd like to think that some of the work that I and my team and even these conversations are doing have made them think about this a little bit differently over the last 10 years um, than say my generation, which was the guinea pig generation on social media. Yeah. And I I totally resonate with that. I think that the connection between offline life and online life is it's just meshing more. Like I said, if the young gen is seeing it as it's not my online life and it's not my offline life, it's just life. then that's the way it's going to end up because the reality is we only age in one direction. So they're eventually going to be the majority of people. And again, could be good, could be bad, could be bad because maybe, um, it does start to enter other parts of life. Like maybe social currency does start to become more important in the job process, like the job hiring process, or maybe the school admissions process, but maybe because they've had literacy around this their whole life, which we have not the rest of us, they say, Oh no, that's stupid. We're not going to do that. We already know about this. So I think the other thing is that this generation in the future will have this knowledge we're talking about. That's my goal. Like, you know, Safe Social exists, which is my charity, Mm. we don't have to exist anymore. So they'll be able to teach their kids in a way that is not happening right now. Mm. So that's kind of could be good too, right? That uh, just weirdly based on history, the generations are going to change. So that could be positive as well. But what could be negative is if we don't have more of this education and more conversations about Safe Social, 
people are going to be engaging in the same risks without any of the without any of the requisite knowledge and learning in order to be able to mitigate those risks and be safe in these places like safe happy well you name it right mm. and that's something i really want to talk to you about uh is the the mind right that's something which seems to be the tool that we have but we really don't know that it's the tool we have it's almost like it's the tool that controls the way we live without us understanding what's going on and you know again this could be attributed to dependence on the internet use of cell phones and now of course with the advancement in ai chat gpt4 um mm-hmm. oh my yeah. gosh oh yeah so i wanted That's to get you That's a whole your... other part of this because it seems like it's not just the world's blurring it seems like if you aren't approaching this with your foot grounded or your 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 uh self worth or your identity or whatever you want to call it grounded in in some sense of a safe environment you can easily be overwhelmed is maybe one word coming to me or overtaken by this huge set of tools that can eventually then seem to be un- undermining your um your, your your capabilities right mm-hmm. oh 100% there's certainly going to be overwhelmed I have to say, you know, we talked about mental health stuff, but the risk that I am most concerned about daily in social media is misinformation and digital illiteracy. Mm. So what you, and you know what made me think about that was when you were talking about the AI generated images. Mm. Wow, I am very nervous about this because I I know that there is a massive amount of digital illiteracy. This thing has just happened so fast in the grand narrative of humanity and with our brain development that it's sometimes like we're operating in a version 13 world but with a version 4 brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, now we've got AI generated images of things that have not happened. I just read a New York Times piece um when was it? This morning or yesterday? about how images of Donald Trump being arrested generated by AI look so real that we have now entered the age of AI propaganda. Oh, and that's very sensitive and because that's, that's triggering terrifying. Yeah, that's triggering these I huge rights. I have the literacy to look at the image. I can see in the image um I can see it's a little off. It doesn't pass the test of looking real. But let me tell you, I also went to school for media. I worked in television, I've worked in social media. I study this. My level of digital literacy is extremely high compared to everyone else. Yeah. So I'm very very nervous about this part because there is not systems to handle this and there is not education right now. And Billy, let me let me paint a picture of where I live. I live in India, which is one of the biggest democracies in the world and biggest one of the biggest populations in the world. And there's been forever huge amount of disparity when it comes to uh, income inequality, gender inequality, uh when it comes to socio-economic uh caste uh, differences, religious tension. Now, into this picture or into this um pot which is was was always on a low simmer and of course there's a huge investment of uh, billions of dollars for development and they're all targeting these people they want everyone to have a smartphone now let me just say 
there is huge potential for people in small villages who never had access to proper education, but who have the the willpower, who have the tenacity to overcome their situation and actually have a better life for themselves. Of course, that's needless to say, it's got some great things. But what I'm seeing with my um, observing as a person who lives in a city in, in, in the country is this huge wave of um, I think, I don't know what the one, there's not one thing what's happening. There are people all on the phone. There's a digital economy. There's a digital, um, this digital world that it's almost like, let me give you an example. It's like going from, you know, typically you would get a horse-drawn carriage, a car, and then for that you have to build infrastructure. Then you have to get to an electric car. We've gone, we've gone straight from learning how to walk to, to flying. In this yeah. context. Well, that's what I mean about the version four brain in a version yeah. 13 environment. So what can, and, and, and as a result, you know, you see uh, a lot of frustration because earlier, you know, it was there, but now it's, it's, it's because the, the existing problems are even more obvious, right? And I'm not saying those happen, those have to be addressed, but it's almost like this, this social media, these, these tools are a window into a world that can't be accessed, but the world is right around them. So the blurring of lines is already happening. They can see on YouTube, they can see on TikTok, all these things. And then they look outside outside their phone screens and it's there in front of them. So it's creating this anger, this simmering resentment. Yeah. And that is scary because um, it, it could end with this resentment, but it could end with the revolution where it's kind of almost like, you know what? If enough critical mass is built, it's like we can't handle this anymore. And and you talk about maybe the January 6th riots, that was bad enough. But when you talk about 50%, 60% of a 1.8 billion population uprising for various reasons, it's a scary, scary, um, you know, thought. I find it, um, I, I'm generally... <laughs> more on the revolutionary side of things like i'm down for everybody to get together and start <laughs> and start regulating this stuff and to yeah. you know make a statement for you know the little person here and uh and typically you know that's the way revolutions have happened in the past dramatic changes have a lot of people got together and said we're not down for this anymore yeah so my work is is literally this, you know, the, yeah. the um, safe social side of my life is ideally that I, you know, I'm an educator first. So charity is really education based, the nonprofit. Yeah. And it's um, if I can teach you all to practice safe social, then you can do this for yourself. Brilliant. Because I'm not worried about the revolution. I think the revolution, there will be people on either end. I'm worried about what happens before the revolution, which is right now the manipulation. And that is very, very scary because it's, uh, yeah, as it I is. said. It, it, you You're can, right. And there is a, there's like polarization is the other thing that I'm concerned about in addition to misinformation and digital literacy. Yeah. And they all tie together. But the idea of polarization, most especially here, is that like I know, I even know how to do it. I know how to turn people against each other in a conversation. I know how to turn people against each other. Now imagine people like me with 10 times the amount of time. And like, this is what they do for their life. It's behavioral psychology. 
And now they're partnered on social media. Now let's pretend that even one of them has been used for negative aims. Mm. So then I know how to target an entire region with a mindset. And I'm, and I am like, this has been done now. We saw it like this has been proven in the 2016 election in America. It's been shown elsewhere that you can have foreign interference on social media mm. in a democracy and it can work. Yeah, I, saw, I read about that Period. Israeli company that does that, right? They do these targeted campaigns. Yeah, yeah. They're not the only ones. I mean, this is happening everywhere. I literally, everybody, every other person I meet in New York is works at a marketing company. Like, <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> like, everybody's just sell, buy something, buy something, you know, selling an idea, hawking the product, like, you name it. So it's, it's certainly not just other parts of the world. It's happening here too. Yeah. And, um, and and if there's no morality in it and there's no regulation in it, that's the other thing is governments, this is what I expect of a government. Like when I pay my taxes, I'm happy to actually. I'm like, you know, taxes are a subscription fee. Here's what I expect in my subscription. Yeah. That someone takes care of my sewage, my roads, and that generally the government keeps us safe. Now... In our online lives, this is so much a part of our life that to me, you cannot not have government interference here. This is literally what I'm paying you for to keep citizens safe yeah. in our life. <laughs> so now I expect governments to regulate big tech and uh, it's not happening because of the money involved in politics in America, but uh, it will. I think that, that we're going to start to see trends where, for example, like in California, there's there's a bill that, that's being introduced about the child safety laws. Like these are starting to happen. And I, and in terms of online privacy, probably Europe is leading the way with the GDPR. So mm. small movements. And when these small movements happen, they create a template for others to adopt. It couldn't happen fast enough though, because if we have AI generated images, polarization and digital literacy, it's a recipe that literally stresses me out actually every day. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, you're in the thick of <laughs> Yeah, no, you're in the thick of things, and you can kind of see both sides to it, and you can through data figure out sometimes in which way, in, in in which direction the scales are tilting. But I want to ask you one last thing before I before we wind up today, because um, I know it may be irrelevant, but I am curious uh, because a lot of studies have shown how negative the impact of say something like. Uh, Instagram is to a girl's confidence, her self-image, and mm -hmm. how damaging it can be to her sense of identity. Um, maybe I, I don't want to kind of get, get a summary of, of what it is, but maybe could you describe how it is for boys and girls, men and women? What what is the impact for both genders um, and? let's just keep it to the two genders for now, because that's a broader group. Uh, and how is social media uh, affecting both groups? Is it negative for both? Is it positive for one? Is it predominantly? Yeah. yeah. Can you, can you take, take me through that? Yeah. Well, there is actually gender differences on social media. And I think though it's, it's very reflective of what was happening. Here's the thing with social media in general. It is a reflection of the offline world. It's a reflection of people offline as well. So people problems that have existed for a very long time also exist on social media. And one of those 
phenomenon, one of those problems is um, sometimes to do with, you know, women's, the pressure that's put on us for body image, for, for social relations, this can be good and bad, right? Like that women have always been shown to be more socially interconnected, even offline, more empathy, more emotional intelligence, more consequence for positive and negative for being in those social circles. And so that translated online as well. So young women um, are online more, they're on the more social platforms and they experience more of the consequences just simply because they're women. For example, the young men are often not getting unsolicited lewd photos. But if you're a young woman on social media, I'd put it at like a 95% likelihood that you will be harassed at some point. Mm. So there's that. There's the social comparison. Women typically engage in peer-to-peer comparison more often. However, this can also be good. That's why we've got, that's why if you ask me, young women have all of the qualities for the future of leadership. They're they are socially in tune. (laughs) So this, this is like, all reflected on social media, of course, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, um, yeah, I mentioned the harassment. Young men, though, I would say we don't want to forget about young men, strangely enough. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't think of me saying that, but on social media, they too compare themselves. You know, they're yeah. looking out there, they're seeing male body image, they're seeing like men are often, they're in the social gaming space, young young boys. Um they're also in like the, I don't know, like pranks, YouTube, this kind of stuff. Mm. Like we're into that stuff. And, um, the, the, and the there's consequences add, there too, right? Right. Like an Andrew Tate, right? He became really big over the past three, four years. And while, you know, I don't know too much about him. I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people demonize him saying he's he's really bad. He's really toxic. But he came he came to where he is or was. And he's obviously now uh, under scrutiny. He came to where he is, as you mentioned, online is a reflection of offline. He came there because there was a need for him. I think that's, un- you, you have to, I think, mm-hmm. understand that there are yep. boys hurting out there. There are men hurting out there, feeling abandoned or feeling a sense of dis- yep. being disenfranchised. And I deeply and- understand all sides of this, actually. Yeah. Like, I, I'm also, like you've just noted, if you're, if they're gaining millions of sales and they're gaining millions of views, then clearly there is an unaddressed need. Yeah. I also with young with young men right now. However, and like you know what it's strange. I do understand obviously more so the the feminist side of it. Some people are just fed up. They're just like god, we focused on their problems for far too long. Like figure it out. We have some other problems we need to focus on. For the first time in history, we're going to focus on another group. Mm. Which is which is like uh, which is wild. However, I know too that the other side of feminism is men. You yeah. can't do it without them. So it's like we need we need men to be on board this practice too. So I, I'm down for not letting anybody left behind, you know? Yeah, I think it's this isolation, right, where you say it's either men or women. I think it's for both groups. Women need men to feel, um, you know, a sense of wholeness. And men, as importantly, need women to feel a sense of strength and wholeness as well. And I think in, it's being... It's being kind of a wedge is being driven between saying, no, it's it's either or, which is total rubbish. <laughs> but um, um, either or what? It's no people are either saying it's either men's rights or women's rights. It's, it's it doesn't exist like that. It has to be both. No, right? Because, I, I don't yeah. think it exists like that. Like yeah. the, the, the thing is with fem, with a feminist thought, 
would be equity for all genders. And yeah, that yeah. should serve everyone. And yeah. if you're seeing it as not serving you, it would likely be that like, if you think you have something to lose, there may be a misunderstanding of what it is that you're, mm. you're or, um, or you're uncomfortable giving up a bit of your privilege so that others can have some too. Yeah, I think that's it's an it's an, it's, a, it's a place where oh I have to change, <laughs> and not many people like that. Yeah, or you know, there's it's a, it's a super interesting conversation, probably for another podcast. Because although it does absolutely reflect on social media, like everything else, there's just um, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think uh, as you said, I'd love to have you back on in a few months, just to kind of figure this out. You you can be my social media predicting expert who analyzes social and human behavior. I think if you could. Well, if you follow me on social media, you can read that there. Lovely. <laughs> Hopefully the good side of social. No, brilliant. Uh, uh, Nabeli, it's been fantastic chatting with you and thanks for uh, shedding light on certain areas, which kind of made me feel really sort of fatalistic about the future and very sort of scared about things to come. But I think to hear your voice and hear your <laughs> research, is, it's good. You know, as you said, we don't know, but maybe there is a glint. Listen, of, I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm positive, And I'm working every day to make that version of reality truth. So if you're listening, I hope you're not feeling too beat down. Know that unlike many of these issues we talk about in social media, you do actually have a lot of empowerment to change because you change just how you act online affects everybody in your online community. So you can have an impact here. And it's a tool for good change if you use it like that. Yeah, that's brilliant. And Safe Social, that's where they can find you and read up on all the research and all the facts and all the questions and all the data which you are working on. Is that right? Yep. SafeSocialMedia.co is the charity. And then I'm at Bailey Parnell on everything, which again, hopefully the good side of social. <laughs> Brilliant. Bailey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time and joining me today. Thanks for having me. Lovely. Thank you. Take care. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.